This is Real Estate Rookie episode 334. My name is Ashley Kerr, and I am here with my co-host, Tony J. Robinson. And welcome to the Real Estate Rookie podcast, where every week, twice a week, we bring you the inspiration, motivation, and stories you need to hear to kickstart your investing journey. And today, we're back with another Rookie Reply, answering questions from you, our Rookie audience. And look, if you would like your question featured in one of our episodes, head over to biggerpockets.com slash reply, and we just might choose your question for one of our shows. But today, we got a long list of stuff that we're going over. We talk a little bit about rental arbitrage at the end of the show. Like, what is it? When is it beneficial for the landlord and for the person doing arbitrage? We talk a little bit about how to structure partnerships. And if you guys haven't yet, head over to biggerpockets.com slash partnerships to pick up mine and Ashley's book about partnerships. But we cover uh, on how to structure a partnership, what to look out for, mistakes that rookies make when they're doing that kind of thing. And if you have checked out our book and given it a read, we would love to hear from you. If you could leave us a review at biggerpockets.com or if you ordered on Amazon or Barnes and Noble, if you could leave a review there too. Well, you guys, we have run out of reviews. That means we need you to leave a review, an honest rating and review of the podcast so that we can feature you and please share any lessons you've learned, any wins you have had from this podcast, listening to these amazing guests. Um, and we would love to, to give you a shout out. But before we get into today's show, uh, Tony, I need to have a little boring banter with you. So by the time this airs, you will be holding little baby <laughs> girl in your arms. So just fill us in real quick. Uh, what's going on in the Robinson household to prepare for baby? Yeah, ooh, that's a good question. So um, Sarah's like pretty proactive. Um, so she's been kind of like prepping leading up to this. So like we we like cleaned out the garage uh, last month to kind of like make room for all the the stuff that we were going to get for the baby shower. We had like a like a closet downstairs, you know, the closet you have underneath your stairs. Like it was just like a junk place. Now it's all the baby stuff. Uh, we just finished the nursery, uh, I think last weekend. Uh, so we're like pretty much ready. Um, yeah, I think the good. only thing that's missing right now is diapers for whatever for reason we, did, we didn't get any diapers at the baby shower so we got to get like diapers and wipes but um everything else we've got we got literally everything that we need so we're just kind of like waiting right now for uh, for baby girl to get here um it's funny because when i came to visit you guys in august um yeah. in the morning i got up and made myself breakfast and i went you know i don't know where anything is in your kitchen so i just go through red <laughs> cupboards and there's i opened up this big cabinet and it's just a, a piece of paper that says baby stuff like, <laughs> just yeah. like the whole cabinet is saved for baby stuff yeah. and now it's filled up we got stuff in there now yeah, um, yeah. yeah we got one of the one of the coolest like we got, a, we got like a lot of cool, like little trinkets and stuff. And, mm -hmm. you know, um, like one of the ones that was pretty cool is that it's like a, it's like a Keurig, but for baby formula. So you just like fill up the reservoir with water and then there's like a big thing at the top for the, the powder. And then you, it's literally Wi-Fi enabled. So like, say that we wake up in the middle of the night, we need to like make a, a bottle. You hit a little button on the app. It mixes everything and gets it to like the perfect temperature for the baby. So we got like a lot of cool little gadgets oh like that. God. that I didn't, yeah, that is cool. Yeah, Cause you know, I, I have my son, he's, he'll be 16 shortly. So that was almost two decades ago that we had him. And so <laughs> much has changed. Those, did they even yeah. have Keurigs then? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they didn't even have Keurigs. So it, it's been cool to kind of go on that journey, but we're, we're excited. Yeah, we're awesome. super excited. Well, thank you for uh, sharing that with us. Everybody, I'm sure, is excited for our little podcast baby <laughs> to, <laughs> to come and make an appearance uh, sometime yeah. on the show. So, This show is sponsored by Airbnb. Did you know that I turned one of my first homes into an Airbnb? It's true. 
And it even helped me get the extra income I needed to launch my real estate career. So if you want to try your hand at making even more income with your property, Airbnb is the place to be. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Are current interest rates making you depressed about cash flow? What if it didn't have to be that way? Rent to Retirement has 2.99% seller financing available on turnkey properties. You heard that right. That's a seller financed 2.99% interest rate where the average cash flow is over $900 per month. They also have options where you can put as low as 5% down on multiple investment properties with no PMI. Rent to Retirement is the nation's leading turnkey investment company that understands what it takes to be successful in today's dynamic real estate market. Their reputation speaks for itself with more five-star reviews than any other company on the BiggerPockets website. Rent to Retirement offers fully turnkey properties that are newly built or renovated, leased and managed, allowing you to invest with confidence in the markets that offer the best returns. To learn more, visit renttoretirement.com. That's rent retirement.com or text REI to 33777. Again, text REI to 33777. If you're in the landlord game, you know the importance of solid tenant screening. That's where Rent Ready steps in. Now, Rent Ready's got an important new feature, proof of income verification. And get this, with Plaid certified reports, you'll see everything from income summaries to total earnings by month. So say goodbye to those gut check moments and hello to confidence in renting with Rent Ready. Rent Ready is included in your pro membership at Bigger Pockets. Now, if you're not a pro, they're offering a six month plan for just one dollar. You can't beat that. So visit rentready.com. That's R E N T R E D I.com and use the code BP Investor. That's BP, like Bigger Pockets, Investor to get six months of Rent Ready for one dollar. Okay, let's get in to our rookie reply questions on this amazing Saturday. So by the time this airs, I will actually be spending every Saturday at Pee Wee football games. But Tony, maybe it will be beautiful for you and California. It'll probably be cold and windy and rainy at football games. But um, I hope everyone is having an amazing Saturday so far. Yeah, there's also a good chance that I, I might be holding a, a brand new baby girl in my arms. So we'll we'll see, depending on how how close. Actually, no, I'll definitely be because this is coming out like the end of October. So uh, baby Robinson will be here by then for sure. Yes, I'm so excited. I can't wait. Okay, so our first question is from Stephen Cobb. Hey, everyone, I'm about to try to make an offer on the house, but the property is on market. So I'm talking with the agent. When I make the offer, is there any official document that I need to submit or do I just give them the price I want to offer? So great question, Stephen. And there are differences between submitting an offer to somebody on market and off market. So on market is when the property is listed on the MLS and there is a real estate agent that is handling the transaction. So it, Tony, you can tell me if you read, read it differently, but in, I'm thinking that he went to the agent that is listing the property, Mm -hmm. that he doesn't have his own agent. Um, which is completely fine. A lot of agents will do that. It's considered um, being a dual agent where they will represent you and the seller. So in this circumstance, or if you go and get your own agent, there is no official document that you actually need to present or make up the 
agent will do the whole contract for you. And that is one reason I love using a real estate agent is because they do all of the paperwork for you and you don't have to. So Tony, you want to go through kind of a list of things that, you know, when you're talking to your agent, I'm talking to my agent, like what are some of the things we have to tell them when we're making an offer? So it's not just the price you want to offer. There's other things that go into the offer that need to be considered. So what your agent would tell you this or, you know, any agent will say like, this is the additional information I need, but just so you're prepared that you can have it. The first thing is what name do you want the contract in? So are you putting in your personal name? Are you going to put the property in an LLC? You can also put an LLC or a name and do um, and or assigns to. So this way you have the the, the ability, you have the ability to change the contract before you actually close on the property. So when I purchase a property, I always put them into the same development company. And then I'm like, okay, here's my business partners. Which one is going to be a great fit? Okay, great. It's going to be Joe this time for this property. I'm going to put it into our LLC that we have. And then by the time, you know, it's ready to close on the property, we make the change to the contract that it's maker. But this is also how wholesalers can do it too, where they can assign the contract to somebody else. So that's the first thing. So start writing the list down, you guys. The first thing is the name the contract is going to go in. Tony, what would be your second thing? Yeah, I think the the second thing and the one that's always important for me is your due diligence period. Uh, and, and due diligence is your opportunity as the buyer to really kind of open up the hood of this property, uh, go under the hood for this property and, and make sure that as it appears on the outside, it's how it appears on the inside as well. So this is when you're doing your general pr property inspection. Maybe you're doing doing like a, a septic inspection. Maybe you're scoping the sewer lines. You're having electrical um, bids created and plumbing bids created. Basically, this is where you really get to um, sharpen the pencil on all of your initial uh, kind of expenses that you projected associated with that property. And the, the due diligence period is important because typically during your due diligence, if you find something of concern, say that uh, maybe you assumed that the roof is in good condition, but after the inspection was completed and having a roofing contractor go out, turns out the entire roof needs to be replaced. That's a relatively big expense. Um, so you can then go back to the seller during your due diligence and say, Hey, I would like to get a reduction of $5,000 to help recover or help cover the cost of getting this roof repaired or replaced. And then you and the seller can negotiate if the seller says no, as long as you cancel your purchase agreement during your, your due diligence phase, you typically can get your earnest money deposit refunded back to you. If you were to try and cancel outside of your due diligence period, and maybe there weren't some other contingencies, you, you might lose that EMD. So I like to typically focus on the due diligence period. Um, a shorter due diligence is typically more, uh, I think, attractive to a seller than a longer due diligence. And I'd say for most of our properties right now, like especially if it's like a flip or something, we're, we're going up like 14, 14 days of uh, due diligence is pretty typical for us. But that'd be the second one for me, Ashes, uh, due, due diligence. Okay, well, that was the wrong answer because we were still on the first page of the contract and you skipped to the second page of the contract. <laughs> so the correct answer was for the second thing was the address. So the address you want to put on the contract and this is where your property taxes would be sent to. This is the address the county will have on record as far as like the mailing address for this LLC and for the property where you'll get your, your property taxes. And then 
to tag along with that is the email address because most agents use um, electronic signature. So they'll need your email where they can send the final contract to get signed by you electronically. Then moving to page two, definitely agree the the due diligence, super important. Are you going to have that inspection period for how long do you, do you need to have that due diligence? Then the next thing would be your purchase price. How much are you going to pay for the property? Um, and then to kind of coincide with that as to how you are paying for the property. So are you going to be paying cash? Are you going to be getting a bank loan? Um, is it going to be an FHA loan? Oh, the loan type you are getting is uh, important in the offer too, um, because that will definitely play into someone's consideration for your offer. FHA loans are harder to get in a sense because there's more hoops to jump through. You have to do an FHA loan inspection, which is separate from your inspection that you're getting during your due diligence period compared to a conventional loan where the loan company, the mortgage company isn't doing any, you know, of their own inspection. So if you're looking at two offers, yours with the FHA loan seems a little more risky because what if, you know, we go this far and then they say, no, sorry, FHA loan, we actually won't cover this property. It doesn't meet our inspection criteria. Then the contract falls out and now these people have to start all over. So the next thing after the due diligence would be what your price is and how you're going to pay for it. And then that kind of ties into a contingency. So you can put a contingency in there that if you do not get bank financing and you don't get your bank commitment letter by X date, then you can actually back out of the contract. So there's there's tons of different contingencies you can add to your purchase agreement, uh, Stephen. I think the, the the piece that's important is that you don't want to overdo it. Uh, you really just want to try and focus on the contingencies that are most important to you. So yeah, like the, the due diligence, the financing contingency is a big one. Um, you know, we're, we're doing stuff like we, we just signed a purchase agreement on a, um, hotel. And, uh, one of the things that we had was like the environmental study. And actually I learned this from you, Ashley, right? Like, Hey, we want to make sure that this thing passes a, a phase one in environmental, um, and kind of part of our due diligence, but you know, we, we kind of called it out separately. So there's, there's tons of things that you can include from a contingency standpoint, but just know the more you have, um, the kind of less attractive your offer gets, but we talked price, we talked kind of owner information, we talked uh, due diligence and contingencies. I'm trying to think if there's anything else that I typically include in a purchase agreement. Um, anything that you add that we haven't chatted on yet? Um, the only thing I would add is a closing date um, that mm. will close in 30 days. So that would be the last thing that I would add. So what I usually do is I write out an email to the agent or I send this in a text sometimes too. And it will I will literally just list out this information. So name address, email, yeah. inspection, due diligence period, price, how you're paying, and then closing date or how many days until closing. So it's just like an itemized list I go through and I'll fill out that out and send it right over. And that's usually enough information to have all that uh, filled out. And then if there's any other contingencies you want in there too. So for example, maybe you're selling your primary residence or another investment property and saying you're only going to you know, be able to close on this property if your other property sells too. The the closing date is super important. I was actually trying to look at the the last flip that we bought earlier this year. Um, but yeah, typically 
a shorter closing window is more attractive to a seller than a longer closing window. So like Ashley said, like 30 days is a pretty common kind of escrow period on a single family or kind of small multifamily type residence. Um, you know, longer escrow periods, typically if you're going into bigger commercial properties, but what we, what we'll do on a lot of our flips is we'll go no financing contingency because we're, we're typically raising private money or we've already got the money raised in, in a lot of scenarios. Um, and then we'll do a 21 day closing. So we'll have 14 days to get our inspections and our due diligence completed. And it gets just like another seven days to kind of finish off all the paperwork with our private money lenders. And typically we're able to close within three weeks. So for us, we've got a pretty strong offer because there's a tighter window, no financing contingency, no other kind of crazy contingencies as well. And it allows our offers to kind of stand out. And I'm pretty sure on this deal, we weren't the highest offer, but they liked our terms a little bit better than some of the other offers they got. Yeah, I think that's a great point as all these other contingencies and terms that you're putting into your contract can actually make a difference more than price. And that's why if you have the chance to find out why that person is selling their property, um, can actually help you kind of tailor your offer to that. Okay, so our next question is from Carrie Adams. Any recommendations on how to structure a partnership for a long-term buy and hold? Q Tony. I don't have my book. You don't have Where's your book, book, dude. Hold on. Hold on, I got one. All right, so it's... <laughs> Ashley's so excited right now that she just ran into her, her microphone. <laughs> Stutter around <laughs> and hit my whole <laughs> But all right, you you do the honor, say Ash. I'll, I'll hold the book up, but you 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 do the honor. Okay, well I, I I wheeled over to get my book and my my chair, so I got mine too. But anytime we hear the word yeah. partnership, we are your go to yeah. people because we wrote wrote the book real estate partnerships. You can find it on the Bigger Pockets bookstore. You can go to biggerpockets.com slash partnerships. And if you use the code Ashley or Tony, you can actually get a little discount too. So now that I'm all frazzled from running to my <laughs> desk. Um, so in this question, it says I have great credit and my potential partner has more cash flow. Okay. So they're both bringing value into the partnership. Okay, so as in cash flow, this is meaning they have actual capital. They have cash to put into the property. They're willing to go half on the down payment, but the mortgage would be in my name. So, Tony, I think this is the perfect question for you because this sounds very similar to how you set up your joint venture agreements. So it's a it's a great question, Carrie, and I think there's a little bit more to unpack here because I, I would want to know outside of just how were you structuring the the purchase, right? Because what you've defined uh, in your question is the purchase is who's going to carry the mortgage, which is an important question, and how are we going to cover the down payment and closing costs, which is another important question. But what what I would ask next is what. Or, or how are you going to divide the responsibilities of actually owning and, and managing this real estate investment? Is one of you going to be the person that's going to kind of handle everything while the other person is a more of a silent partner? Are you going to split responsibilities down the middle? Is one person going to do 70%, the other person going to do 80%? I think the long-term management of this investment um, is a, a critically important thing to consider as you're putting the initial structure together. Because... Assuming you know all things being equal, how you have it set up right now, one person's bringing the capital, one person's bringing the the mortgage. That's like a pretty equal uh, thing here, right? Because the 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 ability to get approved for a loan is incredibly important, right? Better rates, uh, maybe a lower down payment percentage, but you still need the capital to actually close on that deal. But say that you carry were the person that was going to. Um, 
manage everything and this other person was literally just bringing the capital, it might make more sense for you to actually have more ownership in the property because you're getting the mortgage and you're um, doing the management. Or maybe you charge the property a management fee. So there, there's a lot of different levers here, but it's hard to really give a, a super concrete answer without knowing what the the asset management is going to look like. What, what are your thoughts, Ash? Yeah, I would say like one thing that um, in here is I think that Carrie should get more equity than the other person is because she's taking on the debt and she's giving half the down payment. So she is giving up more for this property. She's, you know, increasing her debt to income ratio and she's putting in cash. So I would take that and, you know, whatever you're working out the percentage to be that I think Carrie has more value in this, this partnership because she is taking on the debt and giving half of the down payment. Now, if that were to change and flip flop and maybe the one person was putting in cash and then just the whole down payment amount and then for Carrie to get the debt in their name. So there's definitely different variables. But I also think, too, is what is the the outcome of this partnership? And I think one thing to be very cautious of when you are structuring this is do what Doni does. And in his joint venture agreements, do a five year exit strategy. So in five mm -hmm. years, you're evaluating you know, if you want to keep the property or if one person wants to sell, you sell it. So having those exit strategies in place, um, very key when setting up your structure for this. And I think a joint venture agreement is the way to go, because if you are going to um, or I mean, you could do an LLC on this. You'll just have to go and get um, the financing in the LLC, which then wouldn't really you wouldn't be bringing as much of a value to the partnership because the debt would actually be in the LLC's name and not in your name. And the interest rate and the terms wouldn't be as great either. <laughs> yeah. But I mean, there, there's so many different ways to kind of structure it, uh, Carrie. I think um, what's most important is that the two of you sit down and really identify, we've got the acquisition piece hammered out, but what does the long-term management of this buy and hold look like? Who's going to be playing what roles? And then do your best to assign either equity or fixed hourly payments or percentage of the revenue as a management fee for those duties and responsibilities of actually managing the property. Because I think it's a common mistake that a lot of rookies make is that they overvalue the acquisition side and they undervalue the long-term asset management. The acquisition is it's a one-time event, right? You're, you're going to buy the property one time, but the asset management, that goes on for as long as the two of you own that property together, which could be a year could be five years, could be thirty years, could be forever. Um, so you just want to make sure that you're you're keeping that in perspective as you structure this partnership. Okay, the next question is about hard money loans versus construction loans by Rut Miller. So he wants to know what are the best ones to use for a burr hard money loan or a construction loan? Pros cons. I'm looking at two lenders and one suggested a construction loan. I was just wondering what your thoughts were. Thanks in advance. Okay, so the only construction loan I've used is actually to build my primary residence. So that was just ground up construction. Have you used a construction loan, Tony? Yeah, I have. I've used it twice for some of the properties that I had in Louisiana. So my, my first few um, long-term rentals out there. But I, I think it might even be beneficial just from kind of my own understanding to kind of at least break down some of the differences here. Mm -hmm. Typically, so like hard money versus construction loan. Um, typically, a hard money lender 
uh, is a, a company, a business that specializes in funding rehab projects for real estate investors. And usually you'll see higher interest rates than a usual investment property loan. Additionally, there's uh, points like additional fees you have to pay up front to use that debt as well. But a hard money lender's kind of bread and butter customer is the the real estate investor, at least for the construction loans that I've used and the ones that I've seen, uh, you, you can get those from a more traditional bank. So like I got both of mine from a, a local credit union and the, the market that I was investing in. Even big banks like Bank of America has like a construction loan, right? And typically those are gonna be for your primary residences, um, but you can get a, a construction loan from like a little local bank or, or credit union, not just a, a hard money lender. Um, I'll explain kind of how my construction loan worked. Um, and I've actually never used hard money because I've always gone the private money route, but I'll, I'll explain how the construction loan worked. So the way that this uh, specific credit union had it set up, I had to go out and find a property. Once I found the property, they would do, um, basically I would submit like my identified scope of work. So, hey, here's the work that I plan to do on this property. They would then take that scope of work along with the current condition of the property. And they would uh, basically do like a, a future appraisal where they would say, hey, based on the scope of work and the current condition of the property, here's what we think this property will appraise for after your work is done. And as long as I was below a certain percentage, I think it had to be like 72% of the after repair value, they would lend me all the money for the construction and the purchase. Um, so basically I had a one year construction loan with them. It was an interest only loan. It was a great loan product. Um, I think at the time interest rates were at like a little over three, maybe, and I was paying six percent on the uh, on the construction loan, so it was pretty good, right? Like cheaper than if I would have gotten gone out and gotten hard money at that time. Um, so I had a twelve month interest only construction loan, and what was great about the loan was that it was only I was only being billed on the amount that I had drawn at the time. So you know, I bought the property for whatever seventy thousand bucks. Um, so initially it was only 6% on that 70,000. And then as my construction bill got larger then the, the loan itself, kind of the balance that I was being charged on got larger as well. And then at the end of that 12 months, I was able to refinance with that bank into permanent long-term fixed debt. So I went from the 6%, um, construction loan down to like a, I don't know, like a 4%, um, kind of investment loan. So that was a process for, for the construction loan. Um, it's kind of all in house. They handled both the short-term debt debt and the long-term refinance, pretty much all under the, the same roof. So for this one, I think my answer at least would be using hard money versus the construction loan. Um, just because in my experience with hard money, there is a lot less um, oversight by in, compared to the construction loan, like the construction loan when actually, um, you know, I had to have a licensed, um, contractor who was actually approved and verified by them, mm -hmm. by the bank, where with hard money, they didn't ask who was doing their work or <laughs> anything like that. <laughs> yeah. Not that I wouldn't use somebody who isn't, wasn't doing a good job, but, um, uh, so I think like different hoops like that, the, the hard money was easier than doing the construction loan, uh, as far as having to those kind of hoops and having so much information verified and things like that. And for the draws with the hard money, it was a lot easier process to get the draws than it was for the construction loan too. 
so uh I guess the the inverse of that. I actually found it super helpful, Ash, because like I, I had this construction loan on my very first investment property ever, and I found a ton of value in actually having the the bank send a representative to the rehab before they released a draw because I was getting this confirmation because I was in California. The property mm-hmm. was in, in Louisiana, several thousand miles away. So I had my property manager. I'd already contracted the property manager. They would go and walk the property for me. Um, I was like FaceTiming with the GC once a week. He was giving me a walk through the property. But then I also had the representative from the uh, from the credit union who would walk the construction to make sure that, okay, there's progress being made before they release the draw. So it was this kind of like um, this security blanket for me to make sure that uh, mm-hmm. the rehab was moving the right way. And then even on on the acquisition side, I had this bank who knew the market way better than I did give me an, uh, their estimate of the ARV. And so like I was, I was super confident moving forward with it because not only did my initial analysis make sense, not only did my my realtor's suggestion make sense, but then the bank who knows and has lended on tons of properties in that market, they also had uh, this ARV that, that made a ton of sense. So I think for a first time investor, uh, for a lot of our rookies, even though there are a few more hoops to jump through, um, it, it really can be a good set of like training wheels on that first big rehab that you're that you're doing. Yeah, that's a a great. I think a point as far as like the training wheels as to like, Mm -hmm. you know, someone holding your hand along the process where with hard money, there definitely wasn't that for me at all, but that's a a great point. (laughs) The, the one thing that I will kind of challenge you on, I guess with that is Mm -hmm. I did this YouTube video years ago with a hard money lender. And I said the same thing, like, wow, you send inspectors out. Like, that's actually really great. It's like that second set of eyes on the property, somebody else who maybe has more construction knowledge. And he looks at me and he goes, he's like, you know, you're paying a lot of money for those inspections, right? Those are baked into your loan fees. It's not like a free service. And he said, if that is really why you want to do this type of loan product is or the inspections. He said it is way cheaper to actually go and hire a third party inspector to come out and to actually do inspections like that for you too. So I always, I always think about that and how that was interesting. And like, sometimes you look at a, some type of service or product and you think like, oh, wow, I love it because of this feature and try to like think more outside of the box and of like, that's the only feature you really need and why you're finding value in this thing is find a way to make that work for you without having to, you know, buy the whole process or system. Totally agree with that. I think I was in a unique position because it, this was like a truly kind of small credit union that had just like a few branches and around uh, yeah. that, that kind of local area. So I, it wasn't, it wasn't expensive debt by any means. Like I said, I, I think there were no points. I didn't pay any points up front. Um, mm-hmm. the interest rate, I'm pretty sure was 6%. And this was back in 2019, which was, which was pretty good. Um, so I, it, it seemed like a good one for me. I will say that the one, um, the one downside was that I couldn't use it to flip a home. I could only use it to burr. Um, and they, they made that very clear to me, like, Hey, you can't, you know, sell this property once the construction's done. Like you have to refinance into permanent debt with us. Um, and then I think I had to hold it for at least like a year or something like that before I could sell it. 
So it was only for burring. That's actually another great point as the pros and cons versus hard money and a construction loan is if um, what their refinance terms are. Mm. So especially when you're doing a burr, like the question asked as to like, so the hard money lender that I had used on two burrs, you had to refinance with them, but you had to have at least three properties you were going to refinance at a time. And they would only do almost like a portfolio loan to refinance. So I ended up pulling my properties off and there was a 1% fee to actually not refinance with them. Um, and then also, uh, when I've done it, uh, with the bank, so it was my primary residence or whatever, but it was, you know, we had to refinance with them once the construction loan was done. But I think really comparing what the refinance terms are. So not only the terms of, you know, the rehab process and that initial hard money and the construction loan, but also like what happens when you refinance, are you charged fees because you're refinancing with someone else? What is the interest rate going to be? Can you lock in a rate? all those different things look at that end scenario to the actual refinance piece too. Remember when you had to pay to get a Leeds phone number? It was like the dark ages until Deal Machine made skip tracing a thing of the past. Now with your Deal Machine plan, you'll get unlimited access to phone numbers and contact information for no extra cost. That's right. Get high quality, reliable information trusted by leading financial institutions, all fully compliant with the federal do not call list. Explore over 150 data points, including age, gender, marital status, occupation, and a ton more. Trust me, this is the data you need for off-market deals. With new filters, people flags, and color-coded phone numbers, lead management just got a ton easier. Ready to step up your investing game? Sign up for a Deal Machine plan today and gain immediate access to this unlimited treasure trove of contact information and phone numbers. Just head to dealmachine.com BP. Transform your lead generation and deal-making strategies with Deal Machine. Sign up today and start exploring the unlimited possibilities at dealmachine.com slash BP. This show is sponsored by Airbnb. Did you know that a long time ago, before I ever started my real estate business, I turned one of my first primary residences into an Airbnb? And that's the extra income that I needed from Airbnb that gave me the confidence to go out and work for myself and eventually quit my 9 to 5 job. And now I have dozens of Airbnbs all over the country. I've even partnered up with the old David Green on a recent property in Scottsdale to take our portfolio to the next level. And of course, we host it on Airbnb. But you don't need to be a full-time real estate investor to start on Airbnb. As a matter of fact, I was self-managing 10 properties while working my 9-to-5 job, so I know anybody can do it. Think about it this way. You're looking for extra income and going on a vacation. Wouldn't it be great to rent out your space and let your property pay for itself while you're gone? I did this one time. I pitched my wife and my roommate because we were house hacking on the idea of renting out our home, and it paid for all of our expenses on a trip to Mexico City. So go and give it a try. It might just change your life just like it did mine. And I really do mean that. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Rookies, I'm telling you right now, it's not every day you find a game changer like Rent Ready. They're not stopping with just tenant screening. Nope, they've now rolled out proof of income verification. So let Rent Ready handle the heavy lifting with automatic checks on financial stability and earnings. 
Plus, with Plaid Certified Reports, you'll have all the info you need right at your fingertips. Rent Ready is included in your pro membership at Bigger Pockets, but if you're not a pro, they're offering the six-month plan for only $1. How great of a deal is that? So visit rentready.com, that's R-E-N-T-R-E-D-I.com, and use the code BPINVESTOR. That's BP, like Bigger Pockets Investor, to get six months of Rent Ready for only $1. Rookies, 2024 is the year to start protecting your rental properties with an LLC. But you don't have to do all the paperwork and filing yourself. Corporate Direct is your professional and affordable option for getting your LLC done right. They handle the state filings, draft your operating agreement, and act as your registered agent. They'll even help you comply with the Corporate Transparency Act a new federal disclosure law affecting every real estate investor. Corporate Direct is a family business founded by attorney, author, and rich dad advisor Garrett Sutton over 35 years ago. Now, his son Ted is a licensed attorney working with him. Together, they've helped thousands of real estate investors form and maintain their LLCs and protect their assets. If you're trying to build a real estate portfolio, do not skip the LLC. Head over to corporatedirect.com slash biggerpockets to schedule a free 15-minute consultation with an incorporating specialist. Mention Real Estate Rookie and get a $100 discount on your formation. That's corporatedirect.com slash biggerpockets. Okay, our next question is from Arben Pally. How much notice do you give to tenants that you're not renewing the lease? So, Tony... I give them 24 hours notice. You guys are leaving tomorrow at 10 a.m. And if you don't, I'm calling the sheriffs. So this depends on your rental landlord laws in your state. So um, I mentioned this actually our last rookie reply. We did uh, episode 331 couple times of Vail.co or you go to, you know, your local housing authority website or you Google your state and then tenant landlord laws. And usually there's some kind of handbook or guide available to you or free or really low cost landlord classes you can take. Highly, highly recommend taking them. So in New York state, you have to give notice depending on how long the person has lived at the property. So if they've lived there for less than a year or for a, they're on a year lease and they have to live there over a year. You have to give 30 days notice that you're not renewing your, their lease or that you are renewing their lease. And if there's a rent increase, it has to be that amount. If it's two years or less, they've lived there, then it's 60 days. And then anything over that is 90 days notice. So having to to juggle this, if you have multiple you know tenants as to keeping track is very important as to how long they live there as to when you actually have to do their lease renewal, highly recommend setting some kind of notification, you know, five days before that, you know, 30, 60 or 90 days is giving you time to write up their new lease agreement, their lease renewal, or that notice to let them know that you will not be renewing their lease. So check your, your state laws as to what that requirement is. I think the more notice you can give, the better, um, you just want to make sure that they, if you're not renewing their lease, that they don't retaliate by not paying rent for the next three months. But um, I was going to ask that too, Ash. Like, like, uh, say that you do issue like a non-renewal notice, um, and I guess let me just take a step back. So again, the, that property management company that I worked at for a very br- brief period of time, they also had it very clearly laid out inside of their uh, the original lease agreement, like what would constitute a non-renewal. So, for example, if you got 
um, X number of documented noise complaints that could lead to a non-renewal. If you had X number of uh, late rent payments that could lead to a non-renewal. So some things are like super clear where it's like, hey, just when your when your lease is up, just start, you already knew that you weren't going to get renewed. But say that you know it's something maybe more severe where you're kind of like issuing that notice. Have you ever had a tenant like? trash the place because they were angry or just like leave in the middle of the night or, or are most kind of like understanding and they, they leave kind of peacefully. I actually can only think of one tenant that I've done a non-renewal with. And like maybe when my properties were with the third party property management company, they did. And I just, you know, they took care of things. So I wasn't oblivious as to if someone was giving a non-renewal or not. But um, before that, even when I property managed, I can't think of anything anyone offhand, unless it was like, we said, you know, we gave them their um, notice to cure or quit, like, because they weren't paying rent for non-payment. But as far as anything else, we did have one resident recently where right when we took over, her lease was up, we gave property or proper notice that we weren't renewing it because of all the complaints. Um, An old property management company had you know, emailed us every time there was the issue. So we had record of it. Um, it was issues with her dogs. And then she also was late all the time. Um, and so we had, did a non-renewal with her and she did try to um, say that, like, you know, she wanted to stay and things like that. And we just stuck to our guns and she ended up moving out and she actually moved in with somebody else at the apartment complex for a little bit. We heard from the neighbors or whatever, but apparently she's, you know, found somewhere else now, but um, I can't really think of any other times that we've done non-renewals for somebody. Okay. Our last question today is from Chris Latt and Tony, it is a question for you. Airbnb (laughs) arbitrage from the landlord's perspective. What are the major disadvantages of this? I just listed my primary residence for rent and I've already gotten inquiries about potential tenants that want to short-term rental the home when they are traveling or they want to short-term rental a portion of the house. I added a private entrance to the master bedroom, my current house slab. Okay, so in this scenario, we have Chris who has somebody inquiring to be his long-term rental in the property But while they are traveling, going on vacation, doing whatever, they want to turn part of the house into a short-term rental to supplement what they're not paying so they can go and travel. Um, So, Tony, what is your take on this? Yeah, I mean, so as the the landlord... um, The... the, I guess we can just kind of go like pros and cons for uh, allowing someone to arbitrage your unit. So the pros are that um, you ideally could potentially charge slightly higher than market rents. Um, you know, if market rent is whatever, 1300 bucks, maybe you could charge this person to do an arbitrage of 1500 um, And it's not uncommon, I think, to, to kind of see that. The second benefit, and this this is more so if you've got like multifamily, but I'm you know I know you're talking single family, Chris, but I'll, I'll talk to our multifamily folks as well. Like we took on uh, our first arbitrage units from a buddy of mine that has a 12 unit apartment complex, and we took on not one, not two, but three of his units. So he had three vacant units. He only had to go to one person, and I was able to lease all three of them from him. So if you've got maybe uh, a bigger 
kind of multifamily property, you could lease out multiple units at one time to one person. And I, I only signed one lease for all three. So like all three are managed on under under one lease. So there's less, less management, less overhead, et cetera, for, for that landlord. Um, the third benefit, and this is kind of counterintuitive, but the third benefit is that they'll probably end up being your best tenants because like they're going to handle a lot of the minor maintenance issues on their own because as a short-term rental host if i've got you know the window between 10 a.m when one guest checks out and 4 p.m when the next guest checks in if there's a a leaky toilet or you know a handle gets broken or something is wrong i'm not going to wait on the landlord to come i'm just going to fix it myself to make sure it's ready for that next guest so a lot of those kind of minor maintenance issues go away when you're allowing someone to sublease if they're a good host because they're going to want to make sure that it's ready for that guest um, so those are some of the benefits the disadvantages are Potentially, you could have you know uh, short-term rental guests that maybe bug your other residents. Um, so if you've got a single-family house, it could be your neighbors. Um, if you've got a multifamily, it could be the other folks that are inside of those units. Um, but you know, your Chris, yours is a, a single-family home, so maybe you've got a little bit of space between your neighbors and your home, so it's not as, as big of an issue. But if you're you know if you've got people upstairs and downstairs, it becomes a I think a, a bit of a harder thing to manage. Um, and the other disadvantage is that. Um, you know, God forbid, but you, you could have someone that there was like a, a rager or something and maybe they, they caused some extensive damage to the property. But I'd say that's, it's probably more of a rare occurrence than, than people actually understand. So honestly, I think there's more pros than cons. Um, but Ash, you're, you're the actual long-term, uh, landlord lady here. So what, uh, what are, what are your thoughts on this, on this piece? And I also arbitrage two apartments that I rent from somebody else. So I will say, first of all, like the first thing that came to mind is my short-term rental units. One of them, I was just trying to think it's been 2018 or 2019 I've had it. And that apartment to this day is nicer than people who have lived in an apartment at that same apartment complex for like only a year. So mm -hmm. one huge benefit is it's constantly being cleaned and you know, it's always maintained and nice. And so that was the first thing I thought of is if these people are going to be renting it out as a short term rental, they will most likely keep the house and the property very nice and clean because they will want those five star reviews. They'll want to get as much money as they can. Um so that was my first thought as to like that it may actually work out in your favor and it's not going to be a long-term tenant that's just going to trash, trash the place or not clean it and not take care of it because they're going to be renting it out. Another thing is too, is that you'll be able to look up the listing and you'll be able to read the reviews as to if they are taking care of the place or if people are commenting and saying that, you know, the, the place is disgusting and blah, 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 don't stay here. The next thing too is I would check with your insurance agent as to how this would work for your insurance. So, you know, Tony has short-term rental insurance on his properties. I have landlord insurance on my properties for my long-term rentals. So talk to your insurance agent and see how this would come into play. Do you need to have your long-term tenants get short-term rental coverage? So that way, if somebody does throw a rager and do all this damage or things happen to the property, that it's actually your long-term tenants that are responsible to cover through their insurance all of the damages that were done at the property, and it's not even anything to do with you. And that actually would give me more peace of mind knowing that the long-term tenants have the insurance in place. So it's them paying any deductible and it's their insurance premium increasing because they have a claim and not you having a claim on your own homeowner's insurance. 
So everything you touched on was great. Those are the only two things that I would add. Yeah. Yeah. I was, we do like for the arbitrage units that we're doing, we also have like our own kind of insurance in place as well. Um, just to try and protect everyone. But, um, but yeah, I mean, honestly, I I think it's, it could be a win-win, you know, for you as a landlord and for the folks that are renting it from you. Well, thank you guys so much for listening this week. I'm Ashley at Wealth from Rentals, and he's Tony at Tony J. Robinson. If you have a question, you can submit it at biggerpockets.com slash reply. And you can also check out our new book, Real Estate Partnerships at biggerpockets.com slash partnerships. Thank you. And we will see you back here on Wednesday. The market is changing and finding your way can be tricky. Rates shift, headlines whirl, but your goal hasn't changed. You want financial freedom. And the best investors know it's not about timing the market. It's about time in the market. If you're ready to get into the real estate investing game or take your game to the next level, finding an investor-friendly agent is your next step. With BiggerPockets Agent Finder, you can find the right agent in minutes. Just head to biggerpockets.com slash deals, enter a few details about what and where you want to buy, and boom, instantly match with an investor-friendly agent who fits the bill. These local market experts can help you navigate the neighborhoods, analyze the numbers, and take action with confidence once and for all. There's free resources only available at biggerpockets.com slash deals. Get an agent, get the deal, and get closer to financial freedom at biggerpockets.com slash deals. That's biggerpockets.com slash deals to find your investor-friendly agent today. The content of this podcast is for informational purposes only. Past performance is not indicative of future results, and all host and participant opinions are their own. Investment in any asset, real estate included, involves risk. Use your best judgment and consult with qualified advisors before investing. Only risk capital you can afford to lose. Bigger Pockets LLC disclaims all liability for direct, indirect, consequential, or other damages arising from reliance upon information presented in this podcast.